Open your Bibles to Joel chapter 3, if you would. Tonight, I'm going to be beginning a new, I'm going to be beginning a new sermon series. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But before I do, to segue into that, I want to kind of recap what we've gone over the last several weeks. We've kind of taken a, a two-week break, so it might be good to refresh our memories because this is building towards something that I am really praying, hoping will be very practical for us in our life and, and in our season as a church as we look forward to some really, what I believe to be some spectacular, awesome opportunities for us in just a few months. You may remember that we were going through a series entitled Israel in the Church, and as we look here in Joel chapter 3, verse 1, it reads, In those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Israel. Now, when we come across those phrases, in those days and at that time, we realize that it looks back, not ahead. If you could, could you bring me down just a little bit more? And what we just, what we just, if you were reading through the book of Joel, what you would have just read is what Peter quoted on the day of Pentecost from Joel chapter 2. That in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And what we realized is that when the, the fortunes of Israel are restored, it will happen beginning at that moment when the Spirit of God is poured out, which was the day of Pentecost. Jesus has already been raised. He has ascended to the Father, seated at the right hand. He pours out his Spirit, and he does so to be able to empower his believers, his, his followers, his disciples, to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we came to this understanding, and in this phrase, restore the fortunes of Israel, is found many, many, many times in the Old Testament. Here we find it in connection with this prophecy of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In those days when my spirit is outpoured, when I restore the fortunes to Judah, to Jerusalem, etc. We, we, it's not just in Joel that we see this connection, but turn with me now. Again, this is just in review in Ezekiel 37. He tells us in verse 14, and I'm going to read this. It says, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. And we need to realize that the settling of Israel in their land, whether we are to understand this spiritually or literally, it must be accompanied with an outpouring of God's spirit. May I suggest to you that this did not happen in 1948. 
when Israel, many Jews, came back to their homeland to settle their land, the Spirit of God was not poured out. If you were to go back to Deuteronomy, I believe it's 34, what you find is in conjunction with this, and this is the first time we come across this phrase, restore the fortunes to Israel or of Israel, we find out that there is a prerequisite, and it is very clear for God to bring the captives back, for God to restore the fortunes to Israel... They must first repent. And may I suggest to you that Israel, the nation of Israel as a whole, still walks in darkness, still rejects Jesus as their Messiah, as their Savior, as their Lord. Though may I say that more and more, not just in the land of Israel, but throughout the world, more and more are coming to Christ. We also see in, in, excuse me, in Ezekiel 36, 14, it says, On the day I cleanse you from all your sins, I will resettle your towns and the ruins will be rebuilt. And what we discovered is that this is, this is, not, a, this is not a prophecy that has a literal fulfillment of literally resettling their towns... And literally rebuilding the ruins because that hasn't yet to happen. Um, this is a spiritual fulfillment. You can turn to Amos 9, and there is a promise about the restoration of David's tent and the restoration of the ancient ruins. And James in Acts 15 tells us that that was fulfilled. At that, in that day, and continues to be fulfilled in our day. And we have to step back and we have to say, well, if these men are anointed by the Spirit of God and they're telling us how to interpret these passages and the restoration of the fortunes of Israel that there is happening in our day, how dare us step back and say, well, that was fulfilled in 1948. I'm going to tell you that our God has a much bigger picture than simply bringing Jews back to their homeland. Now understand that there was a very good reason for this happening in 1948. And I am not in any way suggesting that it is not within the heart of God to do that. Because in view of all that I've said, we must realize what is God's heart for Israel? God, God has a tremendous heart for Israel. Does he still call them his chosen people according to the New Testament? May I say this, may I say it very clearly, he does not. He does not. And, and I would suggest to you, please search your New Testament. Find one passage, and I'm only looking for one, that calls Israel in the New Testament. Now, not referring to the people of Israel in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, if God ever calls them the people of God or the chosen ones, and he does not. Actually, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says this. But you, and he is referring to the church, Jews and Gentiles. This is to whom Peter was writing. And he says, to you, he says, but you, Jews and Gentiles, the church of Jesus Christ, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. But even though we have said this, I did mention God has a heart for Israel. Actually, if you were to look, and we did this at Romans 11, we find God's plan for Israel. 
We also find God's plan for the Gentiles. That there is going to be a a number, um, a fullness, as he calls it, of the Gentiles. And when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, then all Israel will be saved. And Paul goes on in just a few verses, and he says that... I, I lost my place here. Give me one moment. He says that he loves Israel on account of the patriarchs. He loves Israel on account of the patriarchs. And, and actually, he goes on to say that not only does he love Israel on account of the patriarchs, but... His goal is to bring this end-time harvest, if we could call it even an end-time. We don't know exactly when this is going to happen in the plan of God. But you get this feel that as history progresses, God's plan, his set purpose is culminating to this crescendo of an influx of Gentiles and Jews. To the point in which it, it doesn't say all Gentiles will be saved, but it does say that all Jews will be saved. God has a plan for Israel. So I am not saying that 1948 is not a significant date. I'm just saying that it is not a prophesied date. And when we talk about the restoration of the fortunes of Israel, that is not what he is talking about. He is talking about you and me, the church of Jesus Christ, coming into the fullness of the Spirit, being able to see the Spirit of God working in our lives and spiritually restoring the ruins that Satan, the world, and sin itself has wreaked in our lives. This is the restoration that God has been prophesying about. We also find that this tremendous influx, this fullness of the Jews and fullness of the Gentiles that Romans 11 talks about... We, we put a name to this. I, I called it the Great Expansion. And this Great Expansion includes Jews and Gentiles coming to Christ. Number one, it says that Jerusalem in Zechariah chapter 2, which is representative of the church, we saw this, will be a city without walls. Not physical Jerusalem. Physical Jerusalem will probably never be a city without walls. Ask a Jew who lives there, would you like to see your city without walls? I know what they're going to say. You know what they're going to say. No, but this is a spiritual Jerusalem. This is, and we saw the context as you read, as we read through Zechariah 2. This is clearly, because he says, I will, Jesus, the Lord will bring the Gentiles to him when he comes. We know when Jesus came. We know he is Yahweh. And when he came, he did do that. He brought Jews and he brought Gentiles to him. And this is, an, this is a, a, an incredible, a great expansion. And as we looked at the barren woman of Isaiah 54, we realized who her descendants were. And those descendants, according to Paul in Genesis 4, excuse me, Galatians 4, that applies this particular passage of Isaiah 54 to the Jews and the Gentiles. All who have faith, like Abraham, the man of faith. We who belong to Christ and are heirs according to the promise given to Abraham, we are the descendants of the barren woman. And he says to this barren woman, enlarge the place of your tent. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. He is prophesying this tremendous outpouring of the Spirit that is going to culminate in God's awesome, mighty, purposed plan 
in the fullness of the Gentiles, in the fullness of the Jews, to the extent that all Jews will be saved. Church God has a plan. He has a plan for his people, his holy people, his royal priesthood, his holy nation, his people that belong to him, his precious possession. According to the King James, a peculiar people. And some of us, as we discussed, are a little bit more peculiar than others. But nevertheless, we belong to him. And that's really what it's getting at. A special, particular possession of God, the apple of his eye. And that is from Zechariah 2. We, you, are the apple of his eye. And we are involved in this great expansion as the the gospel goes and fills the nations from sea to sea. And from the great river, the Euphrates, to the ends of the earth, as scripture says. God has a plan. And that plan is unfolding before us. And it's what I'm going to call in this series a docudrama of grace. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 3.10. How many of you have ever seen uh, Jim Carrey's movie, The Truman Show? The Truman Show. And probably the the most well-known phrase on on this is is that he comes out and the, the, the cameras catch him as he waves to his neighbor and says, In case I didn't see you, in case I don't see you, Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Do you remember that one? And what this movie is really all about is Jim Carrey plays Truman. I can't even remember his first name, unless that is his first name. But it's called The Truman Show, and it's basically, he doesn't realize that his whole life is a docudrama. From the time that he wakes up in the morning to the time he goes to bed at night, he is on display to the world, and his life everybody sees. And everybody in this, what we discover to be an enclosure is just... Did I just spoil the movie? I'm sorry if I did that. But we, he realizes that this is, this is all a hoax. Everybody, including his wife, is, a, is an actor. <laughs> oh my goodness. Everybody is in on it. And the whole focus is Jim Carrey. And no, I am not taking this to imply that you have your own show... You are the star, and we are all watching. You don't, I'm not going there, okay? I'm not going there. But I will say this. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11 have quite a bit to say about God's docudrama, if you will, of grace. And it says this. He is just shared with us the revelation of the gospel in his day, and that he is an ambassador, he has been chosen by God, a servant of this gospel, to proclaim it to the Gentiles. And he says in verse 10, his intent, referring to God's, God's intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. His manifold wisdom, the manifold wisdom of God that, is, that 
in that wisdom, by the gospel, through his grace, would rescue mankind through Jesus Christ. And, and, and this is this docudrama of grace. This is his set plan that he's accomplished. Uh, excuse me. He, who has, he has accomplished it. How does it say? In Christ Jesus our Lord. So I'm going to word it this way. That he has done this by Christ through the church. By Christ through the church. Let me back up. This, though I call it a, docu, a, a docudrama of God's grace, which is your life, my life, the church's life, we are on display. That is what this text says. We are a display of his manifold wisdom and the outpouring of his grace through Jesus Christ. Jesus is accomplishing things through us. Now, this docudrama of God's grace is similar but really very different than the Truman Show. Number one, the whole world, the whole world partakes in this drama of grace. And there are none who are simply acting, okay? This isn't just about Truman. This is about every single person who has an opportunity to step into this relationship with Jesus Christ. The audience, the audience is not the world. The audience here, did you see this? It's the audience is the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Now, if we were to look at that phrase, the heavenly realms, or simply the heavenlies, it's used five times in Ephesians. It's used very uniquely in Ephesians as well, by the way. The heavenlies simply means in the spirit realm. It would include angels and all of God's creation that gather around his throne to worship him. Because it says Christ Jesus ascended and was seated at the right hand of the Father, far above every rule and authority and every title that can be given, and he is seated in the heavenly realms. It says also that we are seated with him in Christ Jesus in the heavenly realms. It says that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, or in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus. It says here that this display of God's manifold wisdom happens before... The rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And in Ephesians 6, it says that the, it refers to the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So it does not just mean angels. It also includes demons. God has a heavenly court. And those that have abandoned him, the demons, they are all watching what is going on in this world. Did you know that? They are watching. And before Christ died, and they were just Isaiah and various others were simply prophesying of the coming Messiah. It says in Peter, it says that these things that were prophesied are things that angels longed to look into. The angels, even the demons, the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms are watching. And what are they watching? They are watching this docudrama of God's grace. And it is all according to plan. 
It is his purpose that he is accomplishing in Christ Jesus. And so what I want us to do is I want us to kind of step back a little bit and look at this series that I'm going to be calling uh, Purchased with Purpose. It is better than any reality TV show, by the way. This is a display every day in your life and in your life and in your life, colon, in everybody's life here who's a follower of Jesus, a display of God's grace. And this is his great document. This is beyond any reality TV show, church, because God is, he is the author of this script, if you will, and it is being played out. And yet there's this incredible concept that no man has ever been able to, to grasp and understand that all of this is within God's set purpose and yet within that set purpose we have the opportunity to choose good or evil to follow Christ or reject him. Now people have theologized as far as how all of that works together but I'm going to be honest with you the bottom line it is beyond us and it makes total sense in the mind of God but in our minds it's like that positive and negative cable. Once you start putting them together, sparks start flying. When you're trying to jumpstart a car, sorry, in the theology class we talked about this. Sparks start flying. Those, those uh, cables start melting if you hold them together too, too long. But the truth is, in our minds, we, it may not make a whole lot of sense. And for this reason, uh, every single time when Scripture talks about this concept, it views the sovereignty of God... And then it steps back and then it will view the responsibility of man and the free will of man and his choosing. It talks about faith. And the scriptures do not try to bring them together so that we fully understand that. And we need to step back and say, I'm okay with that. But this I know, that in this docudrama of God's grace, he is in total command. And there is not one thing that can happen in your life that goes beyond not just his knowledge and his understanding, but his set purpose. And you can do a little study on that. Christ died, Acts 2.23, Christ died. How? According to God's set purpose and foreknowledge. I'm not going to get into that. We did that. You can actually listen to some of those tapes online. Um, with regard to the, uh, it's listed under God's providence. You can, you can listen to that online. Ephesians 2.8, by grace we are saved through faith. Theology class, we looked at this just this past week, but it's important here, significant. Because even though this is God's grace and God is in charge, yet we are responding in faith. By grace through faith, by Christ, the, the world is being reached, but he does it through the church. Do you, do, you, do you grasp that? God is totally in charge, and he is rescuing the world and reconciling the world through Jesus, or, or by Jesus, but he's doing it through the church. We are the ones that God is using to bring the good news to people. And, and we, God has chosen, sovereignly chosen, to do this by his grace, but he uses people. Even the Apostle Paul, 
probably the most outstanding example of God just stepping in and intervening and ruining this man's spirit and totally opening his eyes to what he has been doing in persecuting Jesus Christ. And yet here's the question I want to ask you. Because it almost seems as where, where, where is man? And I mean, it, it, is, he, is, is God just totally doing this? And I mean, God has the privilege to do anything, mind you. But can I ask you this? The very, after three days, he's healed and he's filled with the Spirit. And it says he immediately begins to preach the gospel. What gospel? What gospel did he hear? Turn to Acts chapter 9. Who spoke the gospel to him? I mean, Ananias may have shared a little bit, but the gospel was proclaimed to him before he came to Christ through people like Stephen. Stephen proclaiming the gospel to the point of being stoned and dying and suffering a martyr's death. But who was holding the cloaks of those who stoned him, listening, no doubt, to every word that Stephen preached? Saul, who came to be known as Paul. He heard the gospel through the church. And what I want to do is in the last remaining minutes, I want us to look at this idea of God's grace. God's grace. He, he works his grace, though, through the church. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 2. Why are we... Why are we going here? Why, why am I wanting us to look at this display of God's grace? And even though it's, it is totally the power of God, it is his grace, he chooses to do so through his church. Why are we looking at this? Because I believe that as a church, we have a very unique opportunity ahead of us. This is an opportunity, at least as a church, Powerline Community Church, we've never had before. And I'm going to sum it up in this phrase, community presence. We have an opportunity to have a community presence when we move into the Brio Business Center building within those neighborhoods that are gathered around us. We've never had that opportunity before. Now, don't get me wrong. At your workplace, in your neighborhood, you have a presence there, if you will. You, that, that is, that's where you live. That's where you work. That's where you you live out this drama of grace that we want to get into and be able to impact people. God bringing his grace through you to impact people. But this is the first time that we as a church, corporately, not just individually, we've been doing that. But corporately, we have an opportunity for community presence. Meaning that as a body joined together we are going to be able to impact the communities around us. And I believe that God is wanting to, as we seek to make Christ known in these communities in a variety of ways that I'm going to be touching on over the next several weeks, I believe that God wants to use us to impart truth as God pours out his grace in bringing many to Christ. Wouldn't you love to be able to see families Rescued homes that are broken, as, as Isaiah calls them, and Amos ruined ancient cities. Wouldn't you love to see them restored? You know, it, it, it's so heartbreaking to see 
people constantly turning to bestseller books, top 10 selling books, self-help books, to be able to bring this remedy that only Jesus can bring. Jesus alone can bring this healing. But he has chosen to pour out his grace through the church to rescue the lost. I want to be a part of what God wants to do in those communities. And I want us as a church joining together in what I'm going to call a community presence. That is in which Christ lives in us and through us and impacts, corporately impacts the people around us. Are you there in Acts chapter 2? No, I'm not going to read through this, this passage. We have looked at it actually a number of times. But I do want to bring your attention to verses 46 and 47. In which he says, every day they, referring to the church that was committed to the apostles, teaching to the fellowship, not just to fellowship, by the way, verse 42, but the fellowship. That's the church, that's you and me corporately meeting. They were, they were committed, in, in, and I'll use this term, covenant relationship. They were committed to one another. And when they gathered together, they were committed to being there, to be able to see God move through them, to see people healed, to see people who who were lost, that they'd been inviting, coming to Christ. They were devoted to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. But it says here in verse 46, every day they, the church, the fellowship, continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. They were in the temple courts. They were in their homes. And, and just when they're in their homes, it accompanies it with this concept of joy. In their homes, joy, joy in their homes. What an awesome display of God's grace. But it didn't end there. As awesome as that fellowship is, it says, and they found favor with those around them. The favor of all the people. Please understand that the Christians of their day were viewed as a cult, as a sect that had gone astray theologically. And and they, they purposefully crucified their leader, Jesus, because being the leader, they felt that he was leading and he was teaching false doctrine and leading Israel astray. The church had to display the grace of God to such a degree that it won favor of their enemies. Church... It it did this to the degree that people were added to their number every single day. That is a powerful testimony. That is a powerful testimony to God's grace, the power of God working through his church. I want us to look at one principle today that focuses on the grace of God. In the parable of four soils, we're not going to turn there. I just want to mention it. But the parable of four soils, understand this. Number one, the seed was scattered on all four soils. The seed was scattered on all four soils. That seed came from Jesus, the Son of God. He proclaimed it. Now you and I have the opportunity to scatter that soil, scatter that seed on all four soils. 
the, the pathway, the rocky ground, the thorny ground, and the good ground. But where is it that the seed actually takes root? The seed grows and produces fruit in the good soil. Do you have that so far? We scatter the seed on all four soils, but it's in the good soil that the seed takes root. It grows and produces fruit. Now turn with me to John chapter 6. Maybe some of us have never considered what Jesus tells us in John 6, 44. He is speaking to Jews. They are grumbling because he is saying that he is the bread, he is the bread from heaven. He is the true manna that has come down from heaven. And they're grumbling and they're arguing. Their hearts are proud. You know, how dare this man speak so boldly? I mean, he, it, it, as if Jesus is someone really special. And their hearts are proud and they're grumbling. And he says in verse 40, stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. Now watch what he says to them. He says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. If we were to look at this phrase, come to me, over there, where is it? Verse 35. He says, he who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. May I suggest to you that coming to Jesus and believing in Jesus are the very same thing. Jesus is telling us this. You cannot believe in me if the Father is not drawing you. God draws us by his grace. Now how God's grace interplays with believing is a mystery. Mark 4 tells us this. Jesus tells us this in a parable. It's a mystery. We don't, the farmer doesn't know how the seed grows. He just doesn't understand it. If we're humble enough, we're going we're gonna to realize that. It is all grace and it is all faith. But here... He is saying, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Let me word it this way. I believe it's fair enough. Apart from the grace of God, I cannot believe. Did you hear me say that? Apart from the grace of God, I cannot believe. Now, I'm not talking about when I believe God pours out his grace and I am saved by grace through faith. We are saved. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what leads up to that decision for me to believe in Jesus. God's grace, his, his, the fingerprints of his grace are all over my life, bringing me to this point in which I trust in Jesus Christ. Apart from God's grace, I cannot believe. And the Spirit of God brings conviction of sin. The Spirit of God brings someone to share the gospel, the truth. We cannot believe apart from the preaching of the truth, of the preaching of the gospel. God's grace comes to us and it draws us to Jesus. It draws us to Jesus. God uses his grace... That is, it, all that he does in the unbeliever's life 
to cultivate the soil to make it good. He's tying these together now. Do you see this? You see, it's the good soil that the seed falls upon. It grows, it germinates, it grows, and then it produces fruit. Why? John tell, excuse me, Jesus tells us, because the Father is pouring out his grace and he's drawing those people. Let me word it this way. It is God's grace that cultivates the soil to make it good. I want you to write that down. It is God's grace that cultivates the soil to make it good. When the gospel is, the seed is planted, it germinates, it grows, and it produces fruit. Now, I don't know, but over the next couple of weeks, I'm hoping we're going to see the vast implications of this. We plant, we water, God gives the increase. God uses us, pours out his grace through us to make the soil good. The two Lynns in our church, you know who they are, right? Mada Lynn and Brooke Lynn. Um, today, yeah, the two Lynns in our Today they were... Uh, they were part of the evangelism. I think we had about a dozen uh, people, something like this, that went to the mall, Seminole Town Center, I guess, to evangelize. And uh, they were all looking for opportunities to pray for people. And uh, Madeline and Brooklyn were pray, praying that God would give them an opportunity uh, that they had seen, I guess they were on the first floor, and they were going to the second floor and they were praying, God, would you please bring that lady up to the second floor so that we can pray for her? And after they prayed this prayer, I don't know how much longer, but there was the woman on the second floor and God gave them an opportunity to pray for her. Let me just tell you this. As we are led by the Spirit in how we pray and in what we actually do, God directs us by his spirit to become a conduit or an avenue through which he pours out his grace. You see, that woman may not have given her heart to Christ at that moment. We say, maybe, well, we, maybe Madeline and, and Brooklyn planted a seed or watered a seed. We don't know to what degree that the gospel has been shared with her. We don't even know if she's a believer or not. Maybe if we inquired more, the girl would be able to tell us yes or no by conversation they had with her I don't know but the truth is they were they became an avenue of God's grace God did something in preparing the soil of this woman's heart by what they did God will do this God did this in every single one of our hearts he does in leading in bringing us cultivating the soil bringing us to that point of decision to trust in and follow Jesus Christ God can use Remember, this is his grace. God can use circumstances. I would consider this a circumstance. Many times God uses tragedy to highlight needs that we have that draw us to him. And we recognize that he is the one who's going to meet this need. And we recognize that we actually need to get right in our relationship with God. God uses tragedy. Romans 2 also said God 
uses his kindness to bring us to repentance as well. God uses both. God uses tragedy in people's lives. But he also, whether they immediately recognize it's his kindness, hopefully they will later, but he uses his kindness to bring them to repentance. God's grace cultivating the soil. Many times he exercises that kindness through you and me. Jesus healed people. By God's grace, working through his son, God prepared fertile soil for the seed to be planted. God uses people as they love, serve, minister, pray for one another. As as we go door to door, as you go into your place of business, your neighborhoods. Maybe you're prayer walking your neighborhood. Maybe you're prayer walking one of these four neighborhoods and you happen upon a neighbor and they are struggling to get some job done around their house and you rush over and ask if you could offer to help. You accept it and within five minutes, what they were struggling with for 30, you were able to get it done. And they're profoundly blessed and appreciative, and maybe they invite you in for a a cup of coffee or tea, and you have an opportunity to chat with them. God, God works through so many opportunities. We become his avenue of grace to people. By grace, through faith, what we do. Conviction of sin. People cannot come to Christ apart from the conviction of sin. God brings them to that place where they recognize that they desperately need a Savior. Maybe something that you said at the office, maybe in a conversation across the fence, not one of those six-foot privacy fences, obviously, but one of those, maybe a chain link. See, when I grew up, we grew up with chain link fences and three-foot white picket fences. We didn't grow up with these dog-eared six-foot privacy fences. I mean, how can you talk to your neighbor that way? So six-foot privacy, and they're throughout my neighborhood. It's for us to be private, for us to, you know, I want to live my life separate from my neighbors. So please don't bother me with whatever your family and whatever you're doing and whatever parties you're having. It is me, and it is me only. And I'm sorry, maybe you have a six-foot privacy fence and I'm stepping on your toes. My, My apologies. But the truth is, that is where we're at as a culture. I grew up in a culture in which you had a a three-foot white picket fence in which you could talk to your neighbor or a four-foot chain-link fence. And if the the neighbor had dogs, it was a six-foot chain-link fence. But you could see your neighbor, you could talk with them, and we did it regularly. Honestly, when was the last time you talked to your neighbor? And I'm asking myself that question. (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't this past Sunday when I was doing yard work or Saturday. No. As we talk with our neighbors, the people that we work with, we plant seeds. You can walk away from a conversation and have absolutely no clue about what you said having any kind of impact with them. And yet many times you have planted a seed and as they're watching a show, as they're struggling with their young child's rebellion, as they're going through an argument with their spouse, they're reminded of something that you said, and it gnaws at them because it's truth. 
And now there's this internal conflict. And they, they're beginning to, as they're thinking, internally thinking about this word, this truth that you just deposited in their life. And the circumstances highlighting that. They're beginning to wonder. Maybe what my neighbor or my coworker believes, says, and lives is true. And these, again, they cultivate the soil of hearts. And then the seed of the gospel is sown and it, it springs up to eternal life and bears much fruit. You know, when we go door to door, and I imagine not everybody is going to do that. As you guys, the, there's we, the dozen of you that went out today and to the mall evangelizing. You have opportunities not just to win people to Christ. I mean, that's awesome when that happens. And that truly is our goal. We want to win them to Christ and help bring them to maturity and live in the fullness of God's kingdom. Amen? But, we, but many times we ha- simply have the opportunity to impart some of God's grace in cultivating the soil. And as you go door to door, as you're going evangelism, as you're sharing with your neighbor or at the workplace, and, and they're asking you, so how did your weekend go? Because they just told their story of how they got drunk and had sex with some woman that they can't even remember her name or his name. And you're, you, you ask them, can, can I just... Before I tell you my weekend, can I just ask you, how really, when you put your head down at night and you reflect on what you just shared with me, how fulfilling do you really find that? Can, I, can you be honest with me? Don't, don't you really find it empty? And that relationship with this woman, you, and you can't even remember her name, is that fulfilling? Is, is the stuff that your life is about... It, Do you find it fulfilling? And that truth, that's not spoken harshly, but it's spoken to their heart and it challenges them. And you begin to exercise and walk in and be a part of God's grace that's cultivating that soil. And then when you tell them what you did over the weekend and the the Easter service that you went to, maybe how God ministered to you in a struggle and and how God is enabling you to walk more in victory and in this relationship with God. And before you know it, you're sharing story after story about things that God has done in you and through you and how he's healed your marriage and how he healed your baby and what God has done in, in so many different levels in your life and even giving you this promotion. That's why you can even talk with this person and you had no clue that a promotion was on the horizon but it was only by God's grace and you become a display of God's grace to a dying world that is desperately in need of that grace in their lives and you begin to speak truth and you begin to love and serve and become the the hands and the feet and the the grace of God moving in their lives now again It is what we do is not God's grace. God's grace is working through you. You understand that? It's it's more a humbling thought than anything else. Church, we are going to have many opportunities in the days to come, in the weeks and months to come, in this concept of a community presence. 
to be that avenue through which God pours his grace into a hurting family. God may start a ministry. Do you know where Lee P. Moore Park is? It's, it's right there in Live Oak community. It's just down the road. If you were to take that road to Lowe's, uh, the back um, Chase Bank and such, there's a, there's a sign in the road. It, it's a short road and it leads you to Lee P. Moore Park. It's actually a very large park. It has a racquetball um, courts. It has basketball, of course, baseball. Um, but God may start a ministry through our church in that park, just as we did in the Groveview Park. You see, the the possibilities are numerous, unending, of what God can do. If we make this choice, I am going to be a part of this drama of God's grace in other people's lives. So I want us to close in prayer as we now move into the, uh, the Lord's Supper. And I want to lay a challenge before you. Maybe your life has been somewhat static, for lack of a better term. And in all honesty, maybe even very boring and dry. When you step into God's plan, when you do this, his intent, understand, is that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to all the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And he would do this through a set purpose in Christ Jesus. We become a part of this awesome drama of God's grace in which he is bringing history to this culmination in what's called the fullness of the Gentiles and the fullness of the Jews in which the gospel is proclaimed throughout the earth that I believe there will be massive revival. Can we pray that God would use us maybe in our little teeny tiny Jerusalem or Judea in these neighborhoods, our neighborhoods, but as we, as we, are, we are on display, not just for them, but people as well look at us and they want to see something that's real that can change their lives. Let's pray. God, use me to be that display. Jesus, please. That is our prayer. By your grace, you rescued me, Jesus. By your grace, you cultivated this hardened soil. I was such a religious person, so blinded, to the love and the true grace of Christ. You had to open my eyes and get me beyond myself and my pride and my self-sufficiency and my desire to please people. And you had to break me down. You had to cultivate the soil of my heart. And you used my brother. You used my best friend. And you called me. And you drew me. And you poured out your grace upon me. And you won me.
thank you for your grace. I want so much to see that happen in so many people's lives, God. I want to be used by you. I believe each of us, we want to be used by you as you pour your grace through us beyond our own abilities and our own thinking that we are led by your spirit in these divine opportunities to just minister Jesus, truth, love. Rescue our Jerusalem, Jesus, please. Open blinded eyes just like you opened mine. Soften hearts. And I ask you, God, please, please use us. May we be available. May we be willing to take risks, step out in faith, to be bold. May we be willing to sacrifice and, as Paul said, be poured out like a drink offering. That's our prayer. Thank you for displaying your grace in my life. Please use me as a display of your grace in other people's lives, please. I want to be a part of what you're doing on this earth, Jesus. That awesome plan that you are unfolding before our eyes, even in our day. God, please use me. Use each of us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, as they were celebrating the Passover meal, he took a loaf of bread, much like this, and he said, this is my body, which is poured out for you, broken for you. Jesus' body on the cross, beaten, bruised. The punishment that was given to him is what brought us peace, Isaiah 53 says. His body broken for me brought peace with God. That is God's grace. Father, bless this bread, this one loaf that would represent the one body of Christ. Use it to remind us of the very sacrifice that Jesus gave. There was no cost too high. As the Son of God laid down His life for each of us. What awesome grace. Bless this bread. In Jesus' name. And that night Jesus took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant, not the old. That was filled with law that no one could measure up to. But the new covenant in which the one who gave that covenant 
was the one who fulfilled the old covenant. Jesus, the righteous one, his blood poured out for you and me. It washes away every sin, every sin under a flood of his grace. Jesus, thank you for this cup that would represent what you were willing to sacrifice and lay down for us. And by your blood shed for us on the cross, washing away, forgiving every sin that would stand between us and our Creator God. Washed away forever. No remnant. Forgiven and forgotten. Scattered as far as the east is from the west. No sin would be able to remain and stand between us and act as a barrier. It was taken down forever. By your blood, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for this display of your grace and love. Bless this cup as it would remind us of this in Jesus' name. Amen.